and daughters are empowered to. Okay, so, so the church is to be a people, a family united, and that we're to actually speak out, declare, and command what God's purposes and plans are in our generation. Not just, you know, oftentimes, and I'm all for intercession, I believe in intercession. You know, a matter of fact, Bruce is coming to Long Island April 6th, that's your reminder, to teach on, uh, on a culture of prayer. Right, so we're to be in intercession. Paul says pray at all times, right? Pray without ceasing. But what I want us to understand is that there's a place for intercession and there's a place to speak out forth-telling words. And it's not just over people. It's over your family. It's over where you live and even over the land. In Isaiah 9, 6, and 7, it says, For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders. And he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the greatness of his government and peace there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. The zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. So I, I talked last night about where are the shoulders? They're on your body. The scripture oftentimes, it's amazing to me how many times as I've studied through the word, how many words have been changed by us because people are uncomfortable with the Greek word. For instance, in Revelation 1.5, most Bibles, not all, but most Bibles will have kingdom and priests. That were a kingdom and priests. But the word there is basileia. It's not a plural kingdom. It's kings. It actually says that we're kings and priests. Okay, so, so the reason I'm getting into this is I believe that we need to shift the way we perceive who we are and what God's called us to. Because... Unless we understand who we are and what he's called us to, we can't speak out in the authority that we need to speak out to shift the things that are going on in the world and, and to release the kingdom of God where we live. You know, I love, you know, I don't know, I think it was you that had the word from Isaiah 61, right? That was you this morning? Was it you? Whoever it was, you stole my thunder. Oh, Job, back there, okay. <clears throat> the, ven the, the day of the vengeance of our God. I remember being a young Christian, that scared me. Because I didn't understand God's wrath. What does that mean, the vengeance of the Lord? Well, I can tell you his vengeance isn't against you or me. His vengeance is against everything that wars against his sons and daughters. You know, I believe this, and, and Bruce can correct me. That's, that's fine. But I believe that we've misunderstood what the wrath of God is. And I'm not saying there isn't a wrath. There's a day of judgment for all. But that wrath is against sin. 
That wrath, our God, is a consuming fire. So when that day comes, it will be the complete eradication and burning away of everything that's sin. You know, we have... We have the millennial, and then we have at the end of the millennial, we have, you know, where it says the Lord will roll back and everything will be made new, right? And that's like scary. Well, what's going to be burnt away is sinfulness. So the deal is this. God loves all people. But if you're not hidden in the blood, when that day comes where he releases his power against sin, then you're not going to be covered. But it's not because God hates people or even hates the sinner. You following me? It's a really subtle little shift, but it's a really important one. Because so many times the world has misunderstood and they've made accusations against against God because they don't understand. Because there is a strong influence in the principalities and powers to confuse our thinking. You know, you know there's strongholds. There people can have strongholds, right? And you know what strongholds are. They're everything that exalts themselves above the knowledge of God. So when we have our personal strongholds, they're lies. There's things that God has programmed into us that cause us to think and process and feel a certain way. And what that does is it, it becomes something that exalts itself. It lifts itself up over what God is saying into our lives. You, you with me? So if you've had a long line of rejection over years, which, by the way, if you're prophetic, you probably have, because I haven't met a prophetic person that hasn't wrestled with rejection. <clears throat> but this, what happens is it's like this software that com- comes up, and you start to have a lens where you process life through that stronghold, and it keeps you in bondage. And every time, can I tell you this? If you feel, if you're fighting strongholds, you're fighting lies in your life and you feel like you're going crazy, praise God. Because what it actually means is, is you're coming up against it and you're applying pressure to it and you're close to the breakthrough, breakthrough, don't give up. Because the more the lies war up against you, the harder it becomes to fight it, the closer you are to victory. And that word about the emotions, the feelings, they have nothing to do with the truth. But you see, there's also strongholds in the atmospheres. That war against the knowledge of God. And we have to deal with those the same way as we deal with our own, which is simply proclaim the truth with authority and faith and break those things off of our families, the places where we live, even our country. Because the enemy understands that if he can get you to think in a way that agrees with his lies, he actually can control you and take your fruitfulness. And and when we see people that are resistant to the gospel, they're resistant to the gospel because they've been buying into vain philosophies And there's a stronghold that's been established because of agreement. See, if you agree with something, you actually have faith for that thing. Faith is not something that is dependent upon good things. You've got to have faith for bad things, right? You understand that? So if there's a lie that's going out in the ethers, you know, 
and, and we have a people group <clears throat> that agrees with that lie, what happens is, is in the very atmosphere over that area, this, line, this lie reigns. And I have friends that minister um, in Lancaster area. And I've been there and I've ministered. And because of, and I'm, I'm not talking down on the Amish or the Mennonites, but because of that, that really thick religious um, you know, perspectives over centuries, it's like you have to cut through that stuff. It's really difficult. The atmosphere is there. On Long Island in the New York area, there's a different kind of one. You know, I'll tell you something interesting. I have a bad neck. Uh, I was in an accident in 1990, so I live with pain since then. And um, I could go outside of New York, and it drops by about 80 or 90%. And I come back to New York, and it's right back there again. It's crazy, right? Go to South Africa. Sleep on all different kinds of beds that are not great, pillows that are like non-existent, have hardly any situations there. Come home, two days later, bam. Why? Atmosphere. And it can become really thick. I'm, uh, my wife and I, we like to go to this place called um, the, the um, Beekman Arms in Rhinebeck, New York. It's the oldest ongoing inn in America. It opened up in 1756, and it's been open since 1756. It's a really cool place. So one day I said, let's go for a ride. It was a beautiful fall day. I said, let's, let's go exploring. So I said, you know what? I've never been to Woodstock. You know, it was before I found out that Woodstock wasn't really, didn't really happen in Woodstock. <laughs> it was supposed to happen in Woodstock. So we're driving, and we come a beautiful day, cross over the Hudson, it's early October. The leaves are starting to change in northern New York. And we come in. We turn the corner. We come into Woodstock. And right before we come into it, I get sick. Now, I'm really, I'm a feeler. So I'm really sensitive to atmospheres. So we pull in, and I get sick. And I said, there's a spirit of witchcraft that's really thick in this place. You literally need, this is years ago before I understood how to take, that I had the authority to take authority. But it was so thick in that place. Do you think it's possible that with that kind of thick witchcraft presence that it's not influencing the people? Absolutely has to be. That's why there's so many New Agers and, and all that there because it's warring against the knowledge of God. That's why Paul says our battle is not against flesh and blood but against powers and principalities in heavenly places. He's talking about the influence of the demonic over regions. But you're a prophetic people. You can speak forth the kingdom of God. Ezekiel 37 <clears throat> Verse 3, he asked me, son of man, can these bones live? I said, sovereign Lord, I like this. You know, when God asks you a question, don't answer it. <laughs> Say, surely God, you know. <laughs> if he asks me a question, I don't know, Lord, what do you think? <laughs> Tell me, Father. He, he said to me, if you started our journey, he said, 
Ask me what I want my church to look like. And I thought, I, I paused for a minute. I thought, that's really interesting. You're really smart, God, because you didn't ask me, tell me what you think my church should look like, because I would get it wrong. He said, ask me. So that's my posture now. When God said, I don't know, what do you think? <laughs> so son of man, can these bones live? I said, sovereign Lord, you alone know. Then he said to me, prophesy to these bones and say to them, dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. We need the shift, the way we pray, the way we do things, and step into the prophetic anointing that we have in sons and daughters and stop interceding to some degree. I mean, we need to intercede, but sometimes we need to just say, release. I release the kingdom of God over this region. I release it. Let I release the kingdom. I release the power. I release the life and the light in this place. I declare that this place will be a place where light of heaven breaks through, where souls will be saved, where people will be here. We need to speak it because you're fighting a battle that has to be won here before it can be won here. And we do need to intercede. There's certain times we don't go right after powers and principalities. Some people are anointed by that, and they think everybody is, but everybody's not. So unless you know you're called to that, we intercede for that. But you don't need permission to declare and prophesy the kingdom. And as I was prophesying, there was a noise, a rattling sound, and the bones came together, bone to bone. I looked, and tendons and flesh appeared on them, and skin covered them, but there was no breath in them. Then he said to me, prophesy to the breath, prophesy, son of man, and say to it, this is what the sovereign Lord says, come breathe from the... Come breath, I'm sorry, come breath from the four winds and breathe into these slain that they may live. So I forth told prophesy as he commanded and breath entered them. This is how we fight our battles. I said last night, Jesus um, made, this, made this statement to his disciples. He said, let's go to the other side. Depending, you know, some, some say a gallery, Genesset, it's the same thing. So they're going across the other side. And a storm comes up. And Jesus gets up and he rebukes the storm. And then he re- doesn't really rebuke. I don't think he really rebuked them as much as he was saying Why do you have so little faith? He was saying, you know, you could have done this. I'm not bragging because this is not me, but I have rebuked storms and seen God move on those storms. So why did this storm come up? The Bible says it was a violent storm. I mean, these were men that lived on the water. And they were afraid they were going to die. You know, these weren't the, the casual luxury, you know, sailors that go out on a Sunday afternoon, you know, for an hour or two. These guys lived on the water. 
They knew the, the wind and the currents, and they were afraid they were going to die. This is a powerful storm. Why did it happen? Because Jesus is going to the other side to take authority and release a region. Right? He runs into the demoniac legion. And he breaks the authority. And that man goes and he becomes, it says he declared to the, all the cities. It's time for us to step into the fullness of our anointing as a people. We, we're not supposed to do it alone. You know, it's not supposed to be about Bruce, the great man of God, or Lynn, the great woman of God. It's about the family of God. It's us together. I want to read something to you. It's interesting to me, the, at least the new, new American standard in Joel 2 calls it the terrible visitation. I think it's the glorious visitation. Blow on a trumpet in Zion and sound an alarm on my holy mountain. Let all the inhabitants of the land tremble, for the day of the Lord is coming. Surely it is near. A day of darkness and gloom, a day of clouds and thick darkness. As the dawn is spread over the mountains, so there is a great and mighty people that has never been anything like it, nor will ever be again after it. To the years of many generations, a fire consumes before them, and behind them a flame burns. The land is like the Garden of Eden before them, but a desolate wilderness behind them, and nothing at all escapes them. Their appearance is like the appearance of horses, and like war horses, so they run. With a noise as of chariots, they leap on the tops of mountains, like the crackling of flame, of fire consuming the stubble, like a mighty people arranged for battle before them. The people are in anguish. All faces turn pale. They run like mighty men. They climb the wall like soldiers, and they each march in line. Nor do they deviate from their paths. They do not crowd each other. They march everyone in his path. When they burst through the defenses, they do not break ranks. They rush on the city. They run on the wall. They climb into the houses. They enter through the windows like a thief. Before them, the earth quakes. The heavens tremble. The sun and the moon grow dark. And the stars lose their brightness. The Lord utters his voice before his army. I believe what he's talking about here is, is that when the sons and daughters come together in unity, in love, and in power, we're not in competition. We're not tripping over one another, but we know exactly what we're called to do, and we're standing alongside each of us strong. The houses and the ravishing of what happens is the works of the enemy being destroyed by this army who's on fire, passionate for the king, passionate for sons and daughters to come home to their father, that are willing to give their lives and they, they don't break ranks. You know why they don't break ranks? Because they're fearless. Because they count life as a small thing here. As opposed to taking hold of the glory that's been their promise and their reward. How 
How many of you understand that when God calls you to something, he's probably going to make you uncomfortable? You know, when the Lord called me, probably I've shared this here before, but when the Lord called me, I was making a lot of money. I had made um, kind of a commitment to myself when I was a young guy that by the time I was 30, I'd be semi-retired, I'd be driving a Mercedes, I'd have a house with a pool, a beautiful blonde wife, and, and plenty of money. Well, when I was 30, I was making a lot of money, I was semi-retired, I had a beautiful blonde wife, and I had the house with the pool. And then the Lord just came and messed it all up. (laughs) And when he called me, I responded to something, and I said, Lord, use me. And he showed me all those things, and he said to me, this is what it's going to cost you. I made almost $90,000 in the first four months of that year. I barely made 9000 the next eight months of that year. My business literally died in three weeks. Now ask me if I regret it. I've worked probably 20 different jobs being bivocational. I was bivocational for 26 years. I don't think I gave enough for what I got. I count all things lost for the sake of knowing him. We're in a serious time. The Lord is near. Whether that's five years, ten years, fifty years, a hundred years, he's near. I mean, just look at the signs around us. Consider this. The 20s was a time of prosperity. Azusa Street, everything that came out of that had ended. It was the roaring 20s. And then the Depression comes. And then 10 years later, World War II. Is it possible, I don't know this, but is it possible that the Lord took that to raise up a generation that was not bound to creature comforts because they grew up with little and they were willing to give their lives to the cause. I don't know. But they're called the greatest generation. You're not that old. You're old, but you're not that old. What I'm saying to you is this. Before the the Lord moves, he makes us uncomfortable. He tests our hearts. What will we cling to? 
We're so close. The veil between heaven and earth is so thin. It really is. And we want more. When I was in South Africa, we saw so many wonderful things that God did. Some of them were powerful, like powerful where people got miraculously healed. We had a young girl who the year before was in a car accident. They, were, they had gone on a mission trip up to Zimbabwe, and they were coming back, and they had a terrible accident. Her father died, several other injuries, and her spine was severed just ab- uh, above her lower back, was kind of around the L1 area. <clears throat> and they had to put metal in there, and, and she had to go through therapy. And it's like about 14 months later when we were there, and she was a dancer. She was only 18, 19 years old, and she was a dancer, ballet. And she could only bend to here. And we had, I grabbed three of, the, of her friends, all teenagers, to pray for her. She had six inches of metal on her lower back. She bent over and touched her toes. So we saw those kinds of, of things. And I shared the one last night about the woman that was demonized that, and actually probably possessed. And the, and the deliverance. But my favorite story is about a girl named Nadia. We were out in the, in the streets of Cape Town at night, went into some of the dangerous areas, went into this parking lot where these people were living in this parking lot by the train, by the train tracks. And um, I went over to this older woman who had these three young guys and this young girl that was there with her and started talking to her. And she had been living there for 22 years. 22 years living on the grass between the parking lot and the street and the train tracks. And she told me about all her friends had died. And she was like the mama of this little community here, there, probably 20 or 30 people. And I'm talking to her. As I'm talking to her, these three guys are kind of snickering and mocking. And this, this girl whose name was Nadia, she's there watching me. And I'm watching her. She's eating some food. And she's sharing it. And all of a sudden, she takes out a piece of paper, and she unwraps it. And in that piece of paper, there's some powder. She pulls out a syringe. And I'm looking at her, and she's looking at me. I'm watching her do it. Fearlessly, she's doing it. She doesn't care who sees her. And I said to her, I said, before you do that, can I pray for you? And she looked at me. I said, I'm not going to stop you from doing it. If you want to do it, you can do it. But can I just pray for you first? So she said, okay. I'm not going to drag the story on. We prayed for her. She started weeping. She just hugged her. Told her how much the father loved her. I said, listen, isn't this crazy that God would send this balding, chubby guy from 3,700 miles away to be here tonight to tell you that he loves you. She gave her life to the Lord. And she told one of the people that were with me that her plan was to shoot up and go up on those train tracks and die that night.
You are a prophetic people. You're filled with glory and power and authority. Sometimes it looks like, come out. And other times it's a hug. It's a conversation. But you see, that's the government of heaven. That night, that night the government of heaven broke through in that girl's life. And she had an encounter with truth about who she was and and how she was loved. So what is the government of heaven? It's righteousness. It's mercy. It's justice. Most of all, it's love. You cannot separate God's love and his light and his life. You are carriers of the love and the life and the light of the living God. I want to share something that's going to feel like maybe coming from left field. What time is it? I can't tell. Okay, I'm wrapping up. I promise. Great book. If you want to check it out, it's called The Lost World of Genesis 1 by John H. Walton. He's a professor of Old Testament and I believe anthropology at Wheaton College. He's a really smart guy. Um, Friends with N.T. Wright. And he talks about... talks about, and you don't have to agree with this, but because I really want to point to something bigger. But he points out that he does not believe the ancients would have, would have perceived Genesis 1 the way we do. That it's not the story of the creation of material creation. That it's, it's the God speaking function into the chaos. And establishing his order in the chaos. But he, he points to something that's pretty fascinating. He talks about that the first three days mirror, or the second three days mirror the first three days. So the first three days, God is speaking the functions in. And he's causing everything to line up functionally. He's bringing order out of chaos. And then the second three days, he's establishing the functionaries that that rule over the the functions. And on the sixth day, it's man. And he gives dominion to us. And he goes on and he unwraps from there. Why did God, because if you think about it, he puts them in the Garden of Eden. And the plan was to be fruitful, multiply. So what was going to happen? The Garden of Eden was to expand and become bigger and bigger and bigger as we took authority and dominion over a planet that had chaos outside of the Garden of Eden. Are you with me? So... He unwraps, I want you to grasp hold of this, it's going to be like, you can blow your head off with this, but wrestle with this, is that God did this because he was establishing the place where he would dwell within his creation, and he was establishing his tabernacle, a tabernacle not made of stone, but of living stones. Because, and and the way he unwraps it is he says, understand this, all of the ancients would never have looked at that as the creation story of the material world because they would have thought that's just silly. 
Of course God made, or the gods, depending where you can. Of course the God or the gods made everything material. But what did he make them to do? How is it supposed to work? So what he's saying is, is that they all had a tabernacle story. In other words, in all the, the pantheon of gods in other religions, there was always about the temple. That they came to have a temple. We have Mount Olympus, right? The temple there. But the difference is, is that those gods made man to be their slaves. But what set us apart is God made us to be sons and daughters. And to be his dwelling place. And if you read Revelations and kind of understand and see where it's going, this planet is made to be the throne room of the living God within the cosmos. That's a crazy thought. And I want you to wrap your head around that because what it speaks to is how significant you are. Because from the very beginning, he sat on day seven. He, on day six, he says, it is very good. Why? Because his tabernacle was created, you and me. Heaven is my throne. The earth is my footstool. Where is my dwelling place? Here I am. You guys following me? So if this whole planet gets taken over by sons and daughters, what do you think happens to the enemy? Bingo. Displaced. That's the kingdom of God. Look at all... All the parables that Jesus gave is like the kingdom of God is like yeast that takes over the whole dough. The kingdom of God is like a mustard seed. It's the smallest of all the seeds, but it grows to be this mighty tree. It's all about process of taking over and displacing because from the very beginning, God created it. He created us. He put everything in place so that we would grow, we would multiply and displace the chaos. What is sin? Sin is disorder. Sin takes the order of God and it makes it dysfunctional. It disorders it. And out of that comes sickness, comes death, comes demonization, comes all those things. But you carry the prophetic voice of God to be able to speak into that and bring order where there is disorder. Because listen, the same one that said, let there be light, lives in you. And he's not diminished by you. But we need to understand who we are, what we've been called to. And we need to step into that place, not breaking ranks. Get rid of this this really foolishness of, well, your theology and my theology. I really don't care what your theology is. Do you love Jesus? Do you love Jesus? Are you willing to give your life for Jesus? Okay, we'll let him sort out the theology. How about we just love each other? Because the God of peace will soon crush Satan under whose feet? Your feet. In the beginning... It says, and you, to the woman, your seed will crush him under your feet. That's why Jesus came to be a man. Because it wasn't just him. It's really important that you understand that Jesus is the prototype for all of you. There's only one Jesus, but we're made in his image. So he crushed Satan, and he's bringing everything to the place where sons and daughters will crush Satan. 
because he's not looking for robots. He's not looking for obedient slaves. He's raising up a kingdom of kings and priests to rule and reign, to establish his tabernacle, his holy place in the cosmos. And at the end of Revelation, when that's finally fulfilled, I cannot even imagine what his plan is because it's not like he's going to sit back and rest. You know, when it says he rested on the seventh day, think about this. Because we think of the Sabbath, oh, this is a day that we're not supposed to work. Right? We're supposed to rest, put on the football game, take a nap. Yeah, right, get, get me a, yeah, right. That's a good way for you to get killed in my house. He rested because it was done. Now, we don't, because we think lineal in time, we say, well, what was done? It was done. Ephesians 1, predestined from the foundation of the world. The tabernacle, your destiny, everything that God's going to do is done. We're just, we're just walking through. I want to throw one last thing at you for the women. I believe that the enemy is trying to pervert and has been for a long time the role of women with the women's liberation movement. I mean, if you think about it, it's like an oxymoron because we have the women's liberation movement, and yet Hollywood is still exploiting women. Right? I believe that part of the process of where we're going to is that everything that was lost in the garden will be restored, and that women will step into the full united partnership with men. Not one above the other, but partners. But listen, that partnership has to do to a great extent is, and this is what the enemy has has done. He's taken women and said, you need to be like men. And then at one point, he's telling men, you need to be like women. You need to get in touch with your feminine side. Those are all perversions because men are supposed to be men and women are supposed to be women. And when they come together and they actually empower one another, what happens is a voice starts to come out and authority starts to come out that will start to shift everything. Women are powerful. And throughout the scripture, the Lord has exalted women to say women are powerful. Right? Let's pray. Yeah, Holy Spirit, would you, be, be, would you just begin to move on all of those, Lord, that as I was speaking, it was like bouncing off, like it just was being jarbled. They couldn't understand it. They don't have to understand it intellectually. But, Lord, let the truth go in their hearts. Let the truth pierce hearts. Let the light begin to break through and, and birth something inside where they start to grasp hold of how significant they are. That it's impossible for a child of God to be insignificant. And Lord, I just release right now your breath in this place. Breath of heaven, come alive. Come in power. Let's stand up.
Breath of heaven, come. Breath of heaven, come. Breath of heaven, come. Breath of heaven, come. 